Welcome back to the pub. Welcome back to the United Pubcast. It's our first postseason pubcast. Just to think, Tom, before the... I mean, well, what an amazing 12 months it's been. It started last July this season, the one that's just ended um, or this week. It started in Perth. You were there. You met the players. In fact, you had ex-players hit on your wife, I'm sure. And then I've gone in that, I've gone to Manchester, I've gone to Wolverhampton and watched our first of 500 games against Wolves this season. And here we are. Crowds are locked out and it's August, beyond the halfway mark, and the season's just ended. What a whirlwind. Yeah, it's unbelievable how it has played out because Perth for me seems like it is two weeks ago, but as you say, it's over a season ago and um, yeah, we're in August now. Um, but the fixture list has just come out for next season. Um, obviously, Crystal Palace the first game, but... This season, I don't know whether to describe it as, as it sort of been, it's flown past or whether it's dragged out. I'm not quite sure how to feel it because that year does go very quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially when you're following this football team. And I can tell you now, it definitely takes years off the life. If you want to be healthy, do not follow a football side. It is not good. But yet, here we are. So, Tom, let's rip straight into it. You know why we're here. The, the famous 3-2-1s that we've brought to this podcast. It's going to be discussed today, but obviously we're not just going to cover that. We're going to talk about goal of the season, player of the season, signing of the season. It's all going to be here for you. And then that brings me to my very first point. Tom, who was the signing of the season? Well, I think there's a definite answer. I think we'll get it over and done with. It's definitely Bruno Fernandes. However, I think we've almost got to split it up into the January window, which is obviously Bruno and Agallo, but also look at those first couple of um, signings if you cast your mind back all the way to Perth and obviously Dan James, Juan Bissaka and Harry Maguire I think it's harder, I think they've all look Dan James has obviously come in for a lot of criticism so has Harry Maguire, I think Juan Bissaka probably I'd say has been the sign of the season in terms of I think his performances have been sort of the most consistent and most sort of impressive but I think Harry Maguire has been very good, I think the expectation and the, the price tag around him sort of clouds our judgement of him but um, I think all the signings have been good. I think Dan James has been what he ha- has been. Unfortunately, he's been used in the way Solskjaer has used him, whether you want to criticise Solskjaer or not for that. Um, that's just the way it has been. But Juan Bissaka, I think, has been brilliant. And Harry Maguire, I think, well, he's improved our defence. So the signing has um, sort of proved its worth. Obviously, it's a lot of money, but he came in to improve the defence. He definitely did that. But in terms of the signing of the season, I think it'd be stupid to argue if it's anyone but Bruno. No arguments from me, but I think you're being a little disrespectful to our favourite, uh, our favourite Nigerian, aren't you? Well, I don't know what to make of Agallo because you almost forget he's there. I think everyone still loves him, but it's almost oh yeah, Agallo still plays for us. It's um hard. Well, he's off obviously off in January um, next year or um, in this season coming up. But I think Agallo again has done very well. He came in for so much criticism. Obviously, our friend of the podcast, Duncan Castles, absolutely ripped him a new one when he arrived. But I think he's come in and again did his job very well and hopefully continues to do his job very well because I don't think we'll be signing any strikers now. So he's got an important role in the next couple of months. Absolutely. But again, no disagreements from me. Uh, It has to be the Portuguese. What a player. In my opinion, well, not my opinion, I think it's pretty clear for anyone with a set of eyes. Manchester United don't finish third if Bruno Fernandes doesn't come in in January. So I'm very excited. Uh, Well, yeah, seriously. Yeah, we don't. I think the prospect of him completing a, an off-season, having some rest... Because you've got to think, he played a lot of football for sporting even before he came to United. Yeah. So, uh, it'll be good to see how he progresses. Tom, let's let's go on a bit of a dim. Who's been United's worst player this season? 
Yeah, it's a hard one. Well, maybe it's not a hard one, but it's always hard to sort of try and be positive on this podcast. Anyone who listens, maybe I felt I was a bit harsh on Marcus Rashford last week and obviously not putting Rashford in this category, but I thought I was maybe a little bit harsh on that. So I try not to go too deep on the players, but I think the two names that do stand out for a lot of... I don't want to include Phil Jones in there because, again, we almost forget he's there. But I think the two players that will spring to mind is obviously Andreas Pereira and Jesse Lingard. And I think it's hard because I think both players are very good and I like both players. I just think the time has come this season where they just haven't lived up to it. It's it's just best for United to move them on. And I think it's best for the indi- the two individuals to move on. I just I think the time has come to an end at United, sadly. And just a normal progression. I think if I was to scale who has been worse... Look, I think Lingard will have had the worst season in terms of just when you look at numbers and everything. But I think uh, Andreas Pereira's performances, they've probably frustrated me more than Jesse Lingard has. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a hard one. I mean, chalk and cheese, but um, not, I mean, not too dissimilar at all. But yeah, I think Lingard's got the talent. We've seen him do it in the past. Pereira's the one where you thought he's got the potential and it was a season of hope for a lot of fans. It was... Here's the platform to actually make something of an of your opportunity, and unfortunately, he just didn't take it, did he? Promising performance against Chelsea in the opening game, but really struggled since. And yeah, I think his time at United might just be over. It seems like Valencia, right. in and around, obviously spent a little bit of time there on loan, and it sounds like they might be interested in taking him back. Um, and I think he's one player, as much as sort of we criticise him on this podcast, as an asset. Look, I'm not expecting we're going to get thirty or forty million for Pereira. But he's probably one of the players we could sell and a team in Spain or Italy or Germany would maybe spend a little bit of money on him. Yeah, I mean, I think United could get around $15 million for him. Um, that's, that's the problem. You almost suffer for being a big club because everyone knows, you know, if you're trying to get players off the book, it, there's only a step down, isn't there? So, unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. So, good luck to Pereira. Nothing against him, but he's been our worst player of the season. You've heard it here first. All right, let's lift things back up, Tom. We're a positive podcast, you know that. So, goal of the season. Who are you giving this honour to? I don't know. I think... Look, I remember mentioning a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I said it was the best goal um, post-Fergie. The Bruno Fernandes goal against Brighton, that counter-attacking goal. And I think when we look back, I think that is the goal that... Okay, it's not a... Look, it is a very good strike, but it's not what you'd call a fantastic strike. It's sort of quite easy, uh, sort of simple volley into the corner, but it's obviously the team goal and the pace the United broke up. But I think there's been a heap of goals. I've noted down a few here. I think like just sort of ones that people might forget. Um, obviously, the, the big one is obviously the Rashford free kick away at Chelsea, which was just, you kind of almost expected at the time. I remember it was just, it was probably the perfect distance where it had enough room to manoeuvre. It's when Rashford's closer in, you sort of really think that he's going to put it in row Z. So I think that free kick against Chelsea... I, I remember... That was in the League Cup, wasn't it, against Chelsea? If I'm, yeah, yeah, that's right. So I remember watching that on repeat for like three hours after just the reverse angle of the ball sort of swerving past Caballero. But then other goals I've mentioned here in terms of people might forget. The McTominay goal against Arsenal. Remember that sort of got it out yeah, of his yeah, feet? Yeah, rocket, yeah. Crushed it in. Um, Maguire v Tranmere. That's on that sort of bobbly pitch. He sort of drove forward through the defence and midfield. Got it on his right peg, smashed it in. I think two your mate Anthony Martial has got a few contenders. The obviously the chip against Watford. I think it was, was it against Watford where he did that little bit of yeah. a turn and dink. Yeah, um, but it has to be his goal in the. It has to be his goal against Juventus in the Champions League final, doesn't it? 
Oh, the the one where he's got the photo of the blue steel eyes looking straight down the back <laughs> of the camera. <laughs> Against Juventus in the Champions League final, yeah, that's right. If anyone hasn't seen the photo, um, you probably don't know what we're talking about, but if you have seen the photo, you know exactly what that means. But um, well, that was a great goal against um, Partizan there. That how many players did he beat? Three or four players going through and then just a little dink past the goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah, honestly. I, that was ridiculous. Um, there's many contenders. I mean, we've scored some goals this season. It's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, that one is purely individual brilliance from Martial, I could say. But um, I think it has to be that counter-attack. I just loved it. It was just so... It was just so romantic, wasn't it? Just everything that we've grown up with, um, everything that signalises um, or epitomises, I should say, uh, Fergie's Manchester United. It was just, it was just fantastic. Well, I think so. Another couple of Martial ones was the well, you know, obviously the dink against Watford, but the two goals or one was McTominay, one was McTominay, one was Martial in the Manchester derby at Old Trafford just before lockdown, where Bruno. Dinked that little free kick over and Martial hit the volley. It wasn't the cleanest volley, but it was just a good sort of training ground move. And also, again, it was quite an easy finish for McTominay, but just the visual of it from the distance it went out in front of the Stretford end and the Stretford end going nuts. The McTominay long ranger against City, I thought, was one that really stood, stood out. But I think one that also just popped up on my timeline the other day, which again, your mate, the Nigerian, remember, I think it was the last goal before lockdown, or at least the last game before lockdown. Agalo um, having a little sort of keepy up his session by himself before hitting the underside of the bar. Yeah, yeah, against uh, uh, LSK. Yeah, you know what's funny, Tom? I've asked you for the goal of the season, and I feel like you've mentioned just about every goal Manchester United have scored. Well, that's what research does. That, that, that's the standards we have on this podcast, mate. Well, that's fantastic, but I'm asking for your number one goal. We have to signal out the best one. Well, look, at the start of the start of the segment, I did say Bruno's against Brighton was our best goal post-Fergie, so I'm going to have to stick with Bruno <laughs> the volley against Brighton. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We have spent five minutes discussing every single goal under the sun, and Tom gave you his favourite goal at the start. That's how we roll on this podcast. I love it. Tom, moment of the season. Please, can I take this one away? Because for me, that there's just one that really sticks out. Please. Um, it might not go down in memory, um, but for me, the McTominay shot when he scores that long ranger against City uh, with uh, Edison off his line, I just it just sticks out in my mind for some reason. I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, just what I mentioned there. Like, in terms of the goal, it was quite a simple finish. It was an open goal, and he had plenty of time to pick his spot. So, But it, it, just the visual, and obviously it was deep in injury time against City. Um, it was a pivotal point of the season. We obviously didn't know what was going to happen in regards to lockdown. City were on a sort of... Obviously, it was the whole build-up to the game was obviously always going to be dominated around Pep Guardiola and Solskjaer. So there was a lot of pressure on Solskjaer at the time. And it was a fantastic finish, but just something visual about the Stratford and when that ball was flying in. I think it was pissing down with rain, which obviously adds to it. But yeah, I remember I was walking to the train station. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning, Sydney time, I think, 5.30 in the morning. And I remember just watching it on my phone and um, breaking into a little sprint when McTominay hit the ball. Just the weird little things that, that happen when um, you sort of lose your mind when a goal goes in. But um, in terms of other moments, I remember there, in terms of just I mentioned Solskjaer and Guardiola, I think when he beat Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford and that sort of little handshake where he patted him on the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great shot, that. And one that um, also, I remember you mentioned Pereira at the start of the season against Chelsea is one where... Dan James, obviously Dan James is coming for a lot of criticism lately, but we have to remember how well he started the season 
But I still remember that first game of the season when he came on it. I think he maybe came on at 2 or 3 nil, which is how he should have been used throughout the whole season. But that um, eruption when he scored against Chelsea to make it 4 nil, and again, that wasn't long after he signed. It wasn't long after his father passed away. And I remember that, those celebrations. All the players were over in the corner, and um, that's a moment which is almost the longest distance from now because it was obviously the first game of the season. But that is one that still um, springs to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, and it just goes to show, doesn't it? I mean, in hindsight, it just shows we have definitely had our moments this season. Sure, it hasn't been perfect, but we've seen some good football and we've seen some good moments. And um, overall, I think we can say it has been a successful season, despite how it finished. And it just shows that, you know, there is now a catalyst for us to hopefully bounce off of and build on. I think also a moment of the season, I don't know whether you'd describe this as a moment, but I think it's something that we'll always have to look back on in 20, 30 years at this time and what um, 2020 has looked like. I think one of the ones where you can be most proud of, and you can put it down as PR spin or whatever, but sort of actions speak louder word, louder than words, and United have sort of handled themselves really well. But I think out of all the clubs, United's handling of everything that COVID-19 did bring in terms of the challenges it brought to football, I thought United off the field um, handled themselves perfectly in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, donated, I think, something all up around £10 million pounds, um, in terms of what they've given to the NHS and uh, supporting, like in terms of food supplies and um, medical supplies, providing space. Uh, they kept all of their, uh, all the, all all the staff, workers. Yeah. yeah, still getting paid. So look, credit where it's due. If that means United lose money out of the budget, which look, it shouldn't. And that's a whole political argument, which I won't get into. But, you know, um, I think that's fantastic to see. So Marcus, credit where Ra- it's Marcus due. Rashford as well, his work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. There are going to be kids and families who are going to be relieved for the fantastic work he's done off the field. And, you know, I think that's something we can definitely be proud of, despite of what happens on the field. Tom, uh, this is going to be an exciting one to sort of, well, not really debate, but just discuss performance or game of the season. I think, I don't actually remember too much of the actual game in terms of the moments in it, but I remember the Manchester derby away. At City, I forget yeah. what it was in the season, but I remember that December. first, the first December, yeah, just before New Year, and um, just the counter-attacking football. Was, City dominated the game so much. However, when City had the ball and dominating, you always felt well, four, four or five seconds away from creating a chance. Like De Bruyne had the ball on the edge of our box, and it was almost a confident feeling, thinking, "Hang on, Dan James or Marcus Rashford's going to be away here in five seconds, and we're going to create a chance." And that's how the game did pan out. And um, United, while were defending for large chunks of the game, were so dangerous and were so confident. And you could just see it flooding through the players, flooding through Solskjaer. There was that sort of... sort of uh, When Solskjaer was walking off the pitch at full time, the camera was on him and it showed him waving and smiling to someone in the crowd. And then the camera panned to above the city tunnel and there's Sir Alex Ferguson clapping there. I think that game just sort of almost put... Not, not put Solskjaer on the map, but um, sort of really established his position as United manager for me. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a great point to make because if you think of the pressure he was under prior to that, um, he just defeated Jose. Uh, and, and the build-up prior to that was if he didn't win those two games, his yeah. job was very much on the line. So, no, I'm with you. I thought that game was definitely the game of the season. Uh, just like you said, the counter-attack, the way we set up, and two wins against, you know, top six rivals. Yeah, Fantastic no, effort. Yeah, massive. All right, Tom, the moment we've all been waiting for. You ready for this? Yep. 
All right, the three, two, ones. We've been discussing it since the very first game this season, and here we are, 12 months later, um, to finally break it down. So let's go into, well, we'll go through the top five, and let's start at who finished fifth. Mason Greenwood on 22 points. What did you make of his season? Well, I said, I said it the other day. It was You almost forget that he's, he's played this full season. It feels like he's played half a season for me, but he obviously did play in and around sort of the Europa League teams early on in the season. But it was around sort of New Year where he obviously cemented his first-team role, or at least a starting position. He's always been in and around the first team. But in terms of, look, we spoke about previously when sort of Marcus Rush really burst onto the scene in terms of he almost became a superstar overnight. Greenwood hasn't become that superstar. He's almost just just sort of slotted in nicely, sort of under the radar a little bit. And I think United's sort of protection of him off the field has sort of played a part in that. But um, in terms of his performances, Greenwood has been, I think he's been sensational. And look, he has faded in and out of games, but and that's natural. But in terms of what he sort of, he sort of offers and just the threat, the goal-scoring threat he has, I think he, how many goals did he end up with? 17 or 18 goals, I think? Uh, I think it was 16. 16 goals. It was still amazing. And again, for a large chunk of the season, not really playing or not getting the sort of huge minutes that you'd expect or that we would have hoped for. But I think he is settled in perfectly. And he's, he's obviously bulked up post-lockdown. And I think a lot of people have had debates on who's the best youngster in the Premier League. And they're throwing a lot of names at And there's obviously very good players out there. But no one is in the same category as Greenwood. He's on a different level. Yeah, I mean, um, talking about bulking during the lockdown, I did the same thing, just not in the same way. Not, the bus- not in the muscly way. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I think it's exciting to see where Greenwood's future does end up. And who knows where he'll play next season, but I'm sure it's something for us to discuss as we lead up to the new season. Finishing fourth, this might be a smoky to some people. The Brazilian Fred on 24 points. We have to say, he had a fantastic season. I know he's not played as much, um, obviously, since uh, post-lockdown. But, um, you know, he obviously has had a good season. He's kicked on this year. And I think he's become a very valued member of the squad. Yeah, well, I remember, I still remember now the Newcastle game when we lost 1-0 away at Newcastle. The performance I saw from him was just one of, look, like any Brazilian player, technically very good on the ball, very tidy, very comfortable on the ball. But just his awareness of what was around him, it was almost as like he thought the Newcastle players were just cones that weren't going to move. He completely had no awareness that Newcastle players were going to run at, run at him and try and tackle him. He was just playing the game just with no spatial awareness around him. And after the game, I just said, I don't see a Premier League footballer there. I just, look, he's, he's got ability, but you just have to get rid of him. I saw just sheer stupidity from him. But he turned around and, as I said, he finished fourth in our Player of the Year awards, and rightly so, because, again, I think a lot of us sort of maybe sort of judge that season on post-lockdown, and he hasn't really featured post-lockdown like in terms of how heavily he was previously. But in that first chunk of the season, again, he was very good, and probably an argument until Bruno came in, an argument for him being our best midfielder this season. Yeah, no, no debates from me. Um, I just want to say this, just in case we have any new listeners. We do score the games in a 3-2-1 sequence, so someone who you might have thought has been the best player or most consistent this season might not necessarily be in our top five because we're ranking on who's been the most influential in a particular game, thus why Fred is so high, having not played a fair bit of football. So I just thought I'd put that out there. Mm. Um, finishing third, um, Marcus Rashford uh, on 25 points. I know he's had a little bit disappointment, uh, you know, disappointing performances, I should say, since the restart. But all in all, a good season and his best goal return. 
I think that's what it comes down to, his goal return. And as an attacking player, that is such a huge part of your job. Okay, he's not the number nine, which we'll get into, but he's done his job very well. And you can't criticise the player, because I remember when we were selling Lukaku, there was so much criticism of Solskjaer saying, well, you can't expect Martial and Rashford to go and have their best ever seasons. Well, Solskjaer did expect that, and he was rewarded with it. So, look, I was critical of Rashford in terms of what I think his future does hold at United, or, or the play he can develop into. But you can't argue with his season. I think he's done very well. Definitely his best season in a United show. If you take away maybe that first 10-game spell under Louis van Gaal, I think it's definitely been his best season. And we do have to obviously take into consideration he has been injured for a fair chunk of it. So fingers crossed he does improve. Yeah, I mean, I would have argued if he didn't get this injury, he'd probably be finishing first. I just feel like he was on a really good trajectory prior to the injury. Like I said, off the boil post-restart, I won't deny that. I think he's been really poor, uh, particularly in that final game uh, the other day. But look, he is young. Um, I'm not ready to write him off just yet. I still think there could be. Look, I don't think he's going to be that world-class player that people hope for. But I think he's a, still a very good player, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. You know who was, who was a very, very good player? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and his career turned out pretty damn good, if you ask me. Mm. Finishing second, Tom, the captain, Harry Maguire, good old slabbed. Yeah, well, lucky you sort of said how we're doing these voting. It's the 3-2-1 system, because if anyone is just going off the back of the last game, I think they'll be shocked that Harry Maguire... And I don't think Harry Maguire is bad in the last game, but obviously he's come in for huge amounts of stick in regards to the two goals we conceded, especially the first one. But again, you look back after you look back through the whole season. He's played pretty much every minute of every game. I think there's been a handful of games he sort of hasn't featured. I think only one was through illness or injury. The rest that he didn't play was just maybe a cup game he was dropped for or rested for. I think you have to separate. You have to differentiate the two things in terms of his performances as a footballer and as a defender. Forget about the captain's armband. Forget about the price tag. You have to separate the two. And I think too many people, too many journalists, too many fans cannot get they, they can't do it they're, they're expecting Van Dyke 2.0 that, that's not what we're expecting we had a poor defence last season we had to improve it Harry Maguire came in and improved it forget about him wearing a bit of fabric on his arm nothing to do with it has he improved our defence 100% he has does he have limitations to his game of course he does but which player doesn't so I, I think look he's definitely not player of the season I'm sort of surprised he has been that high but um, I think he's done very well as captain and I think He's coming for so much stick about his leadership. And I think his leadership, which we talked about in this sort of what, how United have dealt with COVID off the field, I think Maguire off the field has probably done a lot more than people give him credit for. And that is a huge part of his job as Man United captain. So, so I'm sort of quite happy that he's high up on the player of the season list. Yeah, and look, I think he's had a good season. He's, he's sort of... His, if you looked at his uh, his season, it kind of looks like a, a heart rate that hit its peak and then started to drop off. He, he, he started steady, and then around when he got the captaincy, I feel like his performances definitely did peak uh, throughout the season. Around January, I thought he was unreal. He was, he was really playing like that elite centre-half, and then he's just kind of tailed off a little bit. But uh, look, he's played a lot of football. And it, look, centre-halves, they still got to run and cover a lot of ground. So I think I think especially, you know. just there you mentioned centre-back, I think in terms of, especially when we're talking about players of the season and everything, we want, yeah. slash, we want excitement. You're not going to get that from a centre-back. No, definitely not. So like you said, he's improved out of fence, and I think rightfully so deserves to be high up this list. And Tom, the man who gets the Pubcast Player of the Year... Mate, seriously, it couldn't have been anyone else. 
do, do I have to say that I've been I've been hanging for this moment? It's Tony Martial, the Frenchman, finishing on thirty points, two points clear, and boy, his the the way he's performed, particularly uh, since the restart, he's earned it, hasn't he? Yeah, well, look, look, it's over a season, so he's definitely has deserved it. But I think, especially post lockdown, he has really kicked on. I'm not sure what it is, whether it's a confidence in Solskjaer to continue to play him through the middle whether the teammates around him have sort of maybe moulded to his game, whether it's Bruno and Pogba playing together have sort of helped him. But, um, yeah, he's been fantastic. And I've been one person throughout the whole season who has said he's very good. I'm not sure if it left he should be left-wing or striker. I'm not quite sure. I sort of flip my mind every couple of weeks. But I was always one person who was saying, if there is a better striker out there or is there a striker that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants, we should go and get it. However, my mind probably has been changed now. I think there is no need to go for a striker now. I think Martial should be our number nine. If he, if he stays fit and he um, keeps... Because he's still young. Look, he's been around a while, but he's still young in terms of football age. I think he's going to develop well. And yeah, there's no need to go and get a striker. Because how many goals did Martial finish on? Uh, 23 for the season. 23. So you give sort of Rashford... How many Bruno penalties were there? You take away the Bruno penalties, give them to Martial. He's on a 30 goal a season. And I think... Fair play to Solskjaer because a lot of a lot of discussion lately has been about obviously Inter Milan making the Europa League final and Lukaku. It wasn't a mistake getting rid of Lukaku. Okay, it's great Lukaku is doing well for himself. That's fantastic. But Solskjaer has trusted Rashford, Martial, and look, the both both of the players have made our top three. So I think Solskjaer is completely justified in selling Lukaku. And fair play to Rashford, but especially Anthony Martial because Solskjaer gave him the number nine shirt back, which Jose Mourinho did take from him, and. Um, yeah, couldn't be more. Couldn't be happier for Martial. Yeah, I'm with him, mate. Seriously, no arguments from me. And again, just he, between him and Greenwood, and Rashford to an extent, maybe for different reasons. I'm really interested to see how they kick on next season. I think there'll be challenges, um, but I feel like for Martial, this could be that. This could be that Rooney season. Do you remember when Ronaldo left, um, and there was that? You know, who's going to step in? Who's going to step up? Can Rooney make that step up? And what did he do? 34 goals. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think for Martial next season, it's it's a one where I hope that him and hopefully Rashford, but Greenwood right behind them as well, just can really kick on and have, again, just build on this season. All right. So you're probably wondering what's coming up in the next few weeks, Tom. I believe you're going to be having a nice or a well-known guest um, hosting a podcast with someone. Would you like to share it with our loyal listeners? Yeah, so next week, well, I think we might record it next week. We're not quite sure when it is going to be released. But um, obviously, a former United player and FA Cup winner from the 1985 FA Cup final, obviously um, Jesper Olsen. Um, he obviously lives in Australia now. He lives down in um, Melbourne. So obviously, maybe doesn't have too much to do because they're all currently in lockdown. So um, he's decided he's happy to come on the podcast and we'll just have a chat about... I think all things, because he's got a very interesting story. Obviously, any former United player has an interesting story to United fans, but obviously, as a foreigner at that time, coming through in the 80s at Man United and English football, what was that like? He obviously played with Johan Cruyff, one of the sort of biggest names in world football. He was involved in, obviously, the very famous penalty, the pass penalty, where Johan Cruyff passed from the penalty. It was actually Jesper Olsen who returned the favour and squared it back to Cruyff to put in the empty net, so... I'm sure he'll have plenty of um, interesting stories and it's a chat I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I think it'll be fantastic. Um, And obviously we will still be with you 
I will cover anything that does happen at least once a week. We'll record something and cover any news regarding transfers, upcoming to the season, predictions for the upcoming season. It'll all be here. So stay tuned. Make sure you do give us a five-star review because if you don't, I'll be upset and no one wants to see that because I'm a happy person. Well, happy actually, as Larry actually as before say. you go, happy as Larry. Um, we have yeah. forgot our Facebook comments. The few were put through for Facebook and Twitter in regards to their moments and everything. I'll just quickly go through. Before we say goodbye, um, Josh has obviously been on the podcast a few times. It's hard to believe the Perth Tour kicked off the season, it seems, an age ago. Felt great to watch United live again with some decent football there as well. Beating City home and away in the league is as good, is always good, with the away game coming after beating Jose on his return to Old Trafford. Martial is my player of the season. Calm down, Larry. And George, who's also been on the podcast, said player of the season, Martial. Goal of the season, either the Igalo goal in the first leg against Lask or Bruno's against Brighton, which we both agree with. And moment of the season was one you might agree with, which we haven't touched on, Larry. Ashley Young departing the club. Oh, jeez, I forgot he played for us this season. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's, about to win, he's about to win the Europa League, for God's sake. As long, along with half the United dressing room, Lukaku and Sanchez. But, um, and also Vin on Twitter has been on the podcast as well. Moment of the season, the back-to-back... I don't know if this is a moment of the season or a, a, a low, but do you remember the back-to-back penalty misses against Norwich, Larry? Oh, yeah, yeah, geez. Yeah. We, we had a bit of a penalty to... woes until Bruno's... His next sound positive was Bruno's signing, and Bruno obviously did fix the penalty drama we did have at the start of the season. And he also said the wins against City in the league. Goal of the season contenders were obviously Bruno's volley against Brighton but also Martial's dink finish against Watford. And his player of the season was a close goal between Martial and Bruno. If we hadn't signed Bruno, we wouldn't have finished in the top four. We wouldn't have made it. So that's a decisive thing at the end of the day. So I think he's probably going Bruno for his player of the season. But um, it's a good problem to have. I think, which we both mentioned at the start of the podcast, if Bruno didn't come in in January, um, we're definitely having a very different discussion leading into next season. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, all right, so I'm all about done. All right, well, I'm sorry for missing out those comments. It is we're, we're bordering 10 p.m. at recording, so it's been a long day. But again, thank you so much for all of you for listening for uh, listening to us, tuning in every episode. Like I said, give us a five star review, and we will catch you in the next one. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.